0: From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Gerardo Guerrero the head consul for the Consulate of Mexico in St. Paul. Gerardo, thank you so much for being with me. So this season, we are going to be looking at this new economy that has been created due to the pandemic, new business norms, uh, new operations that will be long-lasting in these uh, the post-pandemic world we find ourselves in. However, I wanted to start by asking you, are there new personal norms that you started during the pandemic that you would like to carry with you in this post-pandemic climate? Any new hobbies or interests or technologies?
1: Uh, Well, you know, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think life has has changed for everybody, everybody, not just for me. And, you know, I think that uh, after the pandemic, I became like more disciplined even for my personal life or working, mm. for example, uh, because, you know, actually uh, a lot of things are like this, but for example, like Zoom, we had to do a lot of homework, uh, sorry, home, home office, for example. And you need to, well, you know, I don't know, maybe for Americans, it's not the same, but Mexicans, for example, are not very used to do home office. So we had like really to, you know, be like very disciplined to, to, to do your job in, at home. And also, you know, I realized that I used to do things that were very normal for me, that I gave them as granted, naturally, naturally granted. But you know, once that after week uh, had to be locked at our houses it's like, for example, I realized, for example, like how important is reading, you know, for example, I I I love to read. Mm. So, you know, I spent hours and hours reading, for example. And also I read a lot of things that I, I, I didn't have time before to, to read. So, you know, I realized, uh, you know, that it's not if you are locked at home, that you are going to be like boring, or you know, it's like you know, this desperate because you are at home. You have a lot of things to do at home. I, fortunately, uh, now we have Netflix, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a great source uh, of, of entertainment for everybody. Yes, so, you know, I was capable to learn that you can enjoy time even in hard times. And I really want to keep that. I want to keep positive because, uh, you know, this has not end. Uh, this keeps going and we need to learn a new way of life.
0: When people think about Minnesota, the Mexican community might not be top of mind, but despite there being 100 years of history between uh, the two areas and 300,000 people strong. From your perspective, what needs to change in the future to increase visibility and profile of the Mexican community within the region?
1: You know, I think that we need to be more vocal about the contributions of the Mexican community in Minnesota. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, in in Minnesota there are about three hundred thousand uh, people of Latin origin, and of those, eighty percent are uh, of Mexican origin. So we need to be like more vocal, you know, uh, about the contributions of uh, you know the Mexican community. You know that Minnesota is a place that received more Somalis uh, for more uh, Somalis refugees in the world, and. In Minnesota, they have like an infrastructure and they have a lot of programs for these people. Uh, the Minnesota authorities, for example, recognize the contributions of the Mexican community to the economy of the state, but not just of the to the economy of the states, to, too many other things. But they haven't done enough, you know, to have uh, public policies, long-term public policies for these mm-hmm. communities. And the pandemic, uh, 2020, was like a watershed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, you know, like, you know, that we realized that we really needed to, uh, you know, uh, start working in public policies for this community. Building the systems that support immigrant entrepreneurs is important to the development of the state's current and future economy. And I'm just going to mention some, some facts just to, you know, exemplify uh, what is important, the, 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 the contributions of the Mexican community. For example, about 75, 70 percent of uh, people that are in age to work, they have uh, they, they are employed. And for example, they have an average in income of $40,000 per year. Mm-hmm. So this contributes a lot to the, to the to the Minnesota economy because they have a very important economical power as as consumers, as entrepreneurs, as uh, taxpayers, for example. So, you know, that's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, for example, uh, you know, small entrepreneurs has been raising. Uh, actually, for example, in the last year, about uh, we have a 60 percent more new Mexican entrepreneurs that finally they generate employees for the state. And also, for example, people of Mexican origin pay $23 million just in rents. Wow. So, you know. They really contribute, you know, mm-hmm. to, the, to, to, to the economy of, of the state, and we need to be more vocal about that. In 2020, after the pandemic, I started working with different groups, with different, uh, you know, uh, non-profit organizations mm-hmm. that work with Latino communities, and we realized how important it is that we need to encourage authorities. In order, not just it's very good. And you know, when I was posted uh, as consul of Mexico, one thing that really impressed me of Minnesota is that they have something that is very valuable for them—that is inclusion, diversity. And you know, I really admire them because they are—they are like very welcoming for immigrants. And you know, and I'm really celebrate that they are—they have built these policies for some communities like the Somali or the Mon community, but we need to keep working in order to do the same for a, uh, you know, other communities as Mexican or Latino communities. So that's really, really important, uh, you know, that I think that we need really need to keep working on that. I already talked about this with authorities, with the governor, uh, with some commissioners, you know, telling them is necessary because finally they recognize the contribution of the Mexican community to the state. You know that they, even uh, in 2020, even president Trump admitted that uh, Mexican workers were essential because they keep they kept working in agriculture in the agricultural field. They kept working in meatpacking industry. You know, so thanks to those people, we had food in in our tables. And we need to be fair yeah. and recognize that.
0: Yes, the economic impact is an, an impressive. And while there may be a four or five Mexican companies present in Minnesota. There are 35 uh, companies from Minnesota that have been in operations in Mexico. What do you believe are the primary factors that led to this imbalance, being that there's so few Mexican companies in Minnesota, but more Minnesota companies in Mexico? And how can we address that imbalance together?
1: You know, I think that Minnesotans were very smart. And they took very good advantage of free trade. Because uh, since 1993, the trade between Mexico and Minnesota really Increase a lot, mm. and a, a lot of companies, uh, you know, were to, to to establish to Mexico. But you have companies that have been in Mexico for many many years. For example, 3M has been in Mexico for more than seventy years. For example, it's not something new. And you know, is you have in Mexico, Metronic, you have EchoLab, you have a, 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 you know, Cargill. You you have a lot of companies. But you know, I think that in Mexico, what we have missed is our entrepreneurial people needs to be. Educated. Mm. Minnesota is like very geographically, Minnesota is very far away from Mexico. Yes. We are very north. Uh, even, uh, you know, uh, for Minnesotan people, it's like uh, they are more used uh, uh, to their relationship with Canada because they are border to border. So they, everything is like, you know, very natural. And for Mexico, uh, the entrepreneur people see Minnesota that, that is like very far away. Yes. But we need to educate people in order to let them know that they have investment opportunities in Minnesota, and that's very important. For example, and I think that we need to take advantage now, we took advantage of the old NAFTA, and now we need to take advantage of the new USMCA, because this brings new opportunities for everybody. Uh, Big companies like those that that, that I already mentioned, Cargill, or even Mexican companies here in in Minnesota, like uh, La Costeña, or even erdes uh, you know mm-hmm. they are big and they have enough infrastructure uh, you know, to establish whatever they want. But we need to keep working with uh, a small and medium-sized enterprises. And that is something important because, you know, the negotiators of the new uh, USMCA, they really contemplated this. And they included a chapter, uh, which is the 25th 25, 25 chapter in the USMCA that focuses on, uh, you know, a small and medium-sized enterprises. And we really need to exploit that. For example in rochester minnesota you know it's a big you know this is a medium and a small sizes enter- enterprises is very important and we really need to teach to educate our uh, entrepreneurs yeah. that they are going to have opportunities in in minnesota we need to do that And we need to focus in other sectors because this is something that is also contemplated in the USMCA, is we need to support the infrastructure for small and medium-sized enterprises, but also we need to uh, you know, uh, to focus in different sectors. For example, uh, these kind of businesses that are owned for women, for example, for youth people, for, you know, uh, uh, businesses that are located in rural, in rural in, not just in, in the big cities, but also in the rural cities. And we are going to have uh, a lot of opportunities. Uh, you know, uh, the, the USMCA has been enforced just for one year, so it's like a very young agreement. Mm-hmm. NAFTA was enforced for more than, than 25 years, so 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 we still have a very long path away, but we need to, uh, you know, in Mexico, I think that we really need to educate our entrepreneurs about the opportunities that Minnesota offers.
0: And as we close out 2021, what are the priorities for the uh, Consulate of Mexico in St. Paul?
1: Well, you know, this is a very good question. And I'm going to just uh, make like a brief uh, resume of of things. When I was posted here in Minnesota, uh, in one of my first interviews, uh, I was asked, uh, for example, uh, uh, this is a very young consulate. We opened in in 2005. So uh, we have been open just for 16 years. I am the fourth consul, And someone asked me, well, someone says, you know, Uh, The second consul, uh, her priority was education. Mm. The next consul, his priority was culture. What is going to be your priority? And, you know, I think that that depends of the personality of, and you know, of the circumstances that each consul live in. For example, I am a lawyer. Nobody is perfect, so I am like more technician. So you know, uh, I know education and culture is very important. is part of the of our job. But first of all, we need to take into consideration that the main purpose of a consulate, and uh, most importantly, being in the United States, the 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 main purpose of the consulate is to be close of our community, mm. to serve our our community. And in my case, specifically, uh, I, it was a great experience. But you know, I had like very specific, special circumstances. For example, uh, w- we lived the elections in 2016. So uh, in 2017, when uh, we had the new administration, it was chaotic for the community. So we we needed to work very close uh, with the community. We had to work very close uh, with the community, teaching them what. Uh, the rights were in case they, they might be detained, uh, what to do in case they were deported. And we have spent a lot of time working with the community. Then we had uh, 2020 with the pandemic. So we need to uh, focus our forces, our efforts in other kinds of things. Uh, this depends on what is the future of this. Well, first of all, uh, you know, uh, in the last years, we have strengthened a lot the relationship, not just, uh, you know, we have worked a lot with the community, but we have strengthened a lot our relationship with Minnesota. Hmm. In 2015, uh, the, 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 the the then uh, governor visited Mexico, uh, i have received here in minnesota by uh, deputy secretary for, for foreign affairs uh, last year i had a, our ambassador in dc so we have strengthened our political relationship our economical relationship and i have to tell you something i am at the end of my tenure as consul mm-hmm. of mexico in san paul i'm leaving the office in at the end of august so in september for sure the I, well, I will i uh, a successor and of course he's going to have his own interests but i I think that he needs to keep working uh, on, you know, on on these challenges, on strengthening the relationship with the, go- with the Minnesota government, with the authorities, with business people. And, you know, uh, I think that he needs to do that, but he will have other kind of, you know, personal things that he would like to, de- to develop.
0: Well, thank you again. That was Gerardo Guerrero, the head consul for the Consulate of Mexico in St. Paul. My name is Abby Malone. Thank you again, Gerardo. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Malone. Thank you for tuning in.